around the time I started graduate school, I was about 200 miles south of San Diego off of the coast of Baja, California. And I looked out the back of the boat and there was a, a big uh, like offshore fishing boat, like a sport fishing boat, you know, like a big Bertram or something with a wraparound windshield in the front and tuna towers and all of that. I looked over, they seemed to be about, I don't know, a mile away maybe. And uh, I could see them very clearly without binoculars. And they were opening up the transom door to gaff a fish. They brought it in, shut that door, and I could read on the transom of the boat, Morgan Le Fay, Chula Vista. And then I looked back into the boat, our boat, for a second, and I looked back, and the boat was gone. And then it popped up what seemed to be about a mile or two to the left where it was before. I saw it turn. I saw it hover in the air, turn upside down and disappear. So clearly it had reached the end of the dish-shaped earth, fallen off, and the wise sailor would at that point turn the other way and run for home. It left quite an impression on me. What I'd seen is a fairly ordinary phenomenon where certain temperature inversions and mist on the water create what's called a superior mirage, I guess, technically. Or it's a category of superior mirage. In the trailer last week, I mentioned a Guardian UK um, article that was entitled, Walker Stunned to See Ship Hovering Above the Sea Off Cornwall. And there's a really great picture. There's a, a little piece of the headland there. Um, and then there's a container ship uh, hovering in the air uh, above the horizon, about the same uh, you know height as it is tall. It's a pretty impressive image. The article does a really good job and has a good illustration of uh, explaining the way that when what sailors call the glim comes up off of the surface, there's a, a lot of water in the atmosphere because the cooler air um, at, the, at the sea level is merging with the warmer air above it. And it, uh, it bends the light and projects the image. Um, but it doesn't quite take into account, um, the article doesn't at least, the a lot of the details of this, particularly the fact that these images are often refracted through the atmosphere and bent often through um, through the water itself to the extent that they'll project an image um, like the boat I'm talking about from Chula Vista uh, at a greater distance from you than could be seen over the horizon. The towers on that boat were probably 20 feet high, um, and me being, you know, eight feet or so above the waterline of, of our boat, I probably could have seen the top of those towers at maybe 15 miles. But for me to see the entire hall from that height, the boat would have to be within three or four miles. 
Um, and it would stay at that distance. I mean, it would stay visible at the same distance without abnormal refraction, but it disappearing, and particularly it turning upside down before it did to, it was clearly an example of what sailors call looming. And it's a fascinating phenomenon, particularly when you consider that it sometimes lets you see what amounts to into the future. Um, when you're sailing and you see an abnormal refraction or a looming of an island, you'll see it long before you get there. You'll see it before you quote-unquote can see it, even from the masthead of the ship. You know, um, we know this, right? The, the higher you go up, the further you can see, the larger the circle of your horizon. And so, you know, I've been on a on a sail training ship where you sail out of Long Beach towards uh, Catalina and you can't see Catalina from the deck of the of the ship but you climb up in the rig and you can see it and and you climb down from the rig and you can't see it so you can see farther as you go up higher I mean you can see the the loom of the mountains um, leaving Long Beach but you certainly can't see Avalon but climb up in the rig after a few miles out and you will What's interesting to me, and I'm not sure how well documented this is, but under certain conditions, you can see Avalon standing on the beach at Long Beach. There's a Harvard guy named John Stilgo who calls himself a barefoot historian. He writes about this phenomenon uh, on the English coast. Along the English Channel, you know, from the cliffs of Dover, Dover you can see um, the French coast, but then... As you head south, uh, it gets further away, and you and you generally can't see it. Um, and and uh, you know it's it's a fairly common phenomenon. What what this Walker saw um, in Cornwall is a fairly common phenomenon around the English Channel. Not simply because there's a lot of cold water and currents that are merging with warmer air there, which is also true, but also just because uh, there are a lot of people there. So when this short-lived phenomenon happens. Uh, there has to be someone to see it and also to know how to observe it. Um, but uh, Stilgo gives this interesting example. On July 26, uh, 1798, this is from a book he has called A Long Shore, which is kind of a cool book. Um, Near Hastings on the Sussex coast, the cliffs of the French coast, some 50 miles distance and extraordinarily below the horizon, suddenly became visible and seemed only a few miles off. Uh, he reports that this was witnessed by by hundreds and badly disconcerted everyone not familiar with the phenomenon the sailors call looming. The English sailors on hand, though, committed um, commented that this phenomenon was completely ordinary at sea, and they, quote, pointed out and named the different places on the opposite coast which they were accustomed to visit. So uh, you have to be there to see it, um, but... For people who are familiar in seeing it, these sailors, it was an ordinary enough phenomenon. I think uh, if you look up uh, examples of, of uh, superior mirage or abnormal refraction, looming, you'll see um, a lot of examples now because, you know, everyone has a phone in their pocket. So, so these things, uh, the observation of these atmospheric events is, uh, is better documented now than it once was. Looming generally has a long and storied literary history. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, in the Notes on the State of Virginia, wrote about it. Um, he says, uh, 
the phenomenon which is rare on land though frequent at sea the seamen call looming and philosophy is as yet in the rear of the seamen so far as having accounted for it she has not given it a name so that's jefferson from shortly after the revolution of course the first chapter of moby dick is called loomings and some of the most famous lines in american literature are uh, uh you know follow that title call me ishmael some years ago never mind how long precisely having little or no money in my purse and nothing particularly to interest me on shore i thought i would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world it's really an interesting setup because um you know melville is telling the story obviously retrospectively and he's also setting it up that you know he has secret knowledge and you need to listen to him to get it He's seen phenomena that you have not seen, including loomings. And it also carries that sense of looming that it's a portent of things to come, which is why I like looming um, as a phrase rather than, you know, a superior mirage or something like that. Because again, I think that for the sailor, it has that element of time travel or seeing into the future. Not always in a good way either. I mean, like that boat I saw flip over and disappear off of Mexico, uh, the reason sailors thought they had reached the end of the world is because they saw, um, you know, looming and boats shifting around in position or inverting in that manner. Melville explores this idea of, of the looming and time travel um, in the beginning of Taipei, where he says, um, we perceived the loom of the mountains around sunset. This are the, the high hills, um, of Nuka Haiva the, uh, in the Marquesas where he's about to land. And he says, after running all night, we found ourselves close in with the island. So after running all night, 10 hours, they probably make 50 miles. So they're seeing, you know, the, they're seeing the loom of the mountain uh, 50 miles away when it would ordinarily be well below the horizon line for them. And that's particularly true when you factor in uh, that they're, you know, up in the mast while they're looking for the loom of the mountains. From the deck of the ship, they could see the 500-foot cliffs of Nuka Haiva from about 26 or 27 miles away. From the masthead of the ship, they could see it for closer to 50 miles away. Throwing in a looming, they might see it 100 miles away. There's a famous story about a young sea captain he was at sea and he saw his father's ship and it seemed to be a few miles away um, and he climbed up in the rig a little ways and saw it and ascertained from the from the rig and the configuration of the ship that it was his father's ship and he wrote down the position and he wrote down the day and the time exactly um, and, you know, this is a, a common phenomenon at sea. You'd see somebody else's ship, and if you were close, you'd hail them, and you'd stop, and you'd exchange mail. Melville writes about this in Moby Dick. He calls it a gam, um, and, uh, which, uh, which is a, another sailor's term that's made it into, you know, ordinary, ordinary usage. Um, but anyway, he was, you know, too far away to hail the ship, so uh, he just put it in his logbook. These logbooks were uh, exceptionally accurate, by the way, you know, generally speaking. The sea captain was uh, was beholden to a list of investors and merchants and people, and kept they generally kept very accurate logbooks. And 
when he saw his father again, and a year later or whatever, they they got he he said, "Oh, I saw you off of uh, you know in this position at this time," and and he says that seemed that that doesn't seem like I was very close to there at that time. They got out their logbooks and compared, and it turns out that his father's ship was 124 miles away, and through abnormal refraction, he saw that at that great distance. So it's not merely a phenomenon of of being able to see. Um, you know, something that looks like a, our, our classic sense of a mirage that's like, uh, you know, not there or it looks different than it is or looks better than it is. But it's, uh, it's a phenomenon uh, that allows you to see at great distance, greater than you could ordinarily. And that's what's, I think, uh, captivating and unique to me about it. But also, you know, the idea that, that things invert and that that might lead to various types of legends is also, uh, you know, a sort of fascinating subject. It's also really interesting to me that that a lot of these phenomenon that sailors have observed for centuries, um, and again, because people, you know, everyone has a phone in their pocket, um, but they're being like documented in ways that people denied the existence of not too long ago. Before photography, or maybe even more relevant, um, before video, uh, you would see something and it would pass quickly and so it would be difficult to really establish that you saw the thing and what the contours of it were. Uh, in a way, a fascination with, with things visual has led to the development of a lot of technology simply so that we can verify them. Um, you know, Emerson was obsessed with the visual realm. You know, I become the transparent eyeball and all of that stuff. And so it's uh, difficult to sort out superstition from fact. One of Emerson's students in his great book, Two Years Before the Mast, uh, Richard Henry Dana, talks about sort of learning to negotiate the difference between superstition and fact. Uh, and, and he's a self-righteous, condescending Harvard kid. And he, uh, you know, won't, uh, you know, he won't accept uh, empirical observations, the empirical observations of less educated people unless he can, uh, you know, substantiate them intellectually himself. So like one of the old sailors, um, uh, or Dana says that, this is a quote that he f that found that he one of the old sailors was fully possessed with the notion that fins are wizards, and uh, and you know he sort of like poo-poos this and lampoons him for being an idiot, um, and yet the myths about fins being wizards comes from a pretty uh, predictable source. The conditions for abnormal refraction um, are are equally present on the frozen Arctic regions as they are in the sea. And uh, the Laplanders were often seen riding their sleds with their reindeer, were often seen, observed to be flying. Um, or at least they were projected, you know, above the, above the natural horizon and into the air through um, the phenomenon of superior mirage. A lot of American writers, and probably other writers as well, but have taken up, um, you know, this idea that superior mirage, um, you know, uh, shows people flying and projected into the air. In her great 1896 novel, 
um, The Country of the Pointed Furs, one of my favorite books ever. Uh, Sarah Orne Jewett has a character named Captain Littlepage who talks about a guy named Gaffet who um, describes these fog-like men. I, uh, he talks about chasing one of them. And he said, Lord, he flittered away out of sight like a leaf the wind takes with it or a piece of cobweb. And uh, Edgar Allan Poe, in the end of uh, the narrative of A. Gordon Pym, also discusses people flying around on the white surface of the Arctic regions. Um, Gaffet and Captain Littlepage um, in Jewett's novel are talking about the Esquamics or the Eskimo people. And the people who tell these tales are often, uh, you know, regarded as, uh, as dim-witted or as uh, insane. And yet they have seen a thing that exists. They might not have the full language of exp explanation, but they have much, much more experience in it than the people who are evaluating them, which, uh, you know, is kind of the lesson of Captain Littlepage. Uh, you know, he's, he's wrong about certain things, but he has a, a great deal of experience. And Jewett, as a sailor herself, has seen instances of looming, and she knows, uh, you know, what's really going on there. But with no way to document this uh, without photography, and when, you know, uh, several people can be on the same boat and not all of them will see it or observe it, uh, it seems a little bit like, uh, you know, like a story. I mean, after all, the term mirage implies uh, that it doesn't exist, not that it's hard to see or that you can only see it under circum, uh, certain circumstances. So as with so many of the sailor legends, I mean, they, they may not have been quote-unquote true, but they were things observed. When you think about the Flying Dutchman, you know, the ghost ship of Salem, you think about, you know, floating mountains, and all of these other things, they were um, matters of, ob of observation. And, and maybe, you know, people who could actually believe that they were real and use that information, um, and, and, and maybe even to suppose that there was a scientific explanation for it, uh, were were extremely advantaged in this conversation. If you knew that the ship turning over at the edge was not a matter of, uh, of uh, you know, the, the world ending, but it was a matter of abnormal refraction, you would just keep going. If you knew that at a certain time of day, you might be able to catch um, an abnormal refraction or a superior mirage, um, whatever you want to call it, looming of, of something distant, you might be able to go up into the rig and see that before anyone else would see it, and you'd, and you'd have an advantage uh, in that. So the thing that seems mysterious, elusive, unapproachable, unreachable, um, you know, something as a contemplation uh, for the soul and the spirit um, could actually be, you know, uh, could actually have a very practical application in the real world for people who um, believed that the superstition was rooted in an empirical observation, but didn't believe the conclusion of the superstition, um, those people would have tremendous uh, social advantage at sea, I guess. And I guess that's uh, how Melville uses it in the beginning of Moby Dick. You know, I, I'm a person of experience. I did this thing. 
I know this stuff, listen to me and let me be your guide because I have, uh, have access to a level of experience that you don't have. And uh, anyway, I don't know what it comes down to is that certain people uh, in this world go higher, see further, and detect things that uh, remain invisible to the rest of us. Uh, those people used to be called experts, and I still believe in them. Hey, thanks, friends, for listening. Uh, this was fun. I, I, I've got a lot to say on this subject. I hope I didn't give you too much of a shotgun approach to it. Um, check out some of these images, though. It's it's truly fascinating, and, and it is truly a gift to us that, um, you know, accessible photography uh, and videography has made some of these things, uh, you know, something that can be shared with people on shore. Okay, uh, that's it. I'm out. I'll see you next week. Thanks. Uh, remember to like, follow, and subscribe. And please, please tell a friend. Okay, be well.